0: This is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you.
1: Hey, everybody. Happy peak of the week. It's Wednesday here. Might not be Wednesday when you're listening, but I hope it's a good day all around, no matter what day it is. We are back, Mandy and Angela. Um, hi, Angela. Hello, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? Good. Good. So we wanted to come back um, and talk a little bit more in depth. Uh, If you've already listened to the introduction to permaculture episode... We hope you loved it. And um, if you didn't know, Angela is like permaculture queen and um, really, really does a very, very good job practicing permaculture on her homestead and helping us learn. And it is a whole kind of separate, I would say like chapter, if you will. Um, We call them badges as kind of like a joke, but it is serious um, in, in like the homesteading world, right? So... Um, we wanted to come back and give a little bit more in-depth information um in hopes that when you're listening to this that this this will help just kind of a- across the board. So Angela, if you all don't know, Angela is actually writing another book. <laughs> and um we should all just do a silent clap for that because that's so cool. And um she's going to, I think that we should kick off this episode and you can do a quote from your upcoming book. Um, Because I think it'll kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Okay. So, um,
0: yeah, we'll just start with a quote and we'll expand from there. So here we go. We have identified many factors and practices that contribute to unhealthy soil ecosystems. Because that's essentially what it is. It's an ecosystem. And we'll touch on that further in this episode. Mm -hmm. But why bother trying to rectify and rehabilitate and maintain a healthy ecosystem? Well, it's because healthy, nutritionally dense soil, that is what produces healthy and nutritionally dense food for humans and forage for animals. So if you're farming for soil health, um, it's more than just sort of thinking about offering fertilizer and amendments to crops. You are stewarding your land. You are creating a relationship between land and farmer or land and grower. And it goes beyond just thinking about soil in terms of loam, in terms of humus. We are creating a a sink for carbon to be absorbed into. We're looking to reduce erosion. We're looking to create maximum water absorption. And we just wanna really improve overall land resiliency. So when natural disasters happen, as global warming continues to heat the planet, our land is adaptable. And right now, if you look at the farming situation in the country, we are seeing a lot of drought. We're seeing a lot of farmers who can't grow their crops. And there's a lot of studies out there that say, hey, some things need to change in in terms of those conventional farming practices. Mandy and I keep... A spreadsheet of upcoming episodes that we're going to record as we go through our season. And when we scheduled today's call, I said, you know, I really think we need to go off track. The permaculture episode that we recorded and released early was really well received. But I would be so remiss if, you know, we talked about animal management and we talked about crops and companion planting and growing perennials. We would be remiss if we didn't touch on how this all really comes back to soil. And regeneration, because that is the common element here, right? Yes. It all comes back to the land. And I hate science, you all. I hated it in high school. I hated it in college. I don't want anything to do with science. When I got into homesteading, soil and carbon and nitrogen were the furthest thing from my interest. I, I did not care, and I would glaze over when people would talk about soil health. I'm here to tell you that this is actually really interesting. It's not scary, and it's something we can all become more cognizant of as we go through our homestead and farm processes.
1: yeah, I mean, I think it can kind of um, I mean the goal here is always to help, right? and I think it can kind of be a little bit scary. We'll say a bunch of words today. We might read a bunch of words when you know you're searching online or something like that, and they may not make sense, but um they're they're not as um, I guess dense. They're not as scary. They're not as you know far-reaching um, from your vocabulary as you might think. And so, it the way I like to look at it is when we talk about soil and how Angela just said it, it all comes back to soil. I mean, like if that's the only thing you take from what we're about to say today, I mean it can be interpreted in you know many ways, but common ground is it all comes back to the soil when we so like in nature um you know your your weather and your plants and your fungus and you know so many different things insects and bacteria um all of those things change the soil absolutely um, and, you know, a lot of it is happening 200% without uh, without any human interaction, without, without us altering or doing anything. Um, but I think what is so important is all of those changes, animals, like we talked about pasture rotation, crop rotation in your garden, um, those changes that you're making may seem so, so subtle, but they are so far reaching. Um, and some of them back hundreds of years and some of them will impact you know our grandchildren's children
0: yeah for sure I think okay well I'm getting very excited let's (laughs) let me just refer to our, our notes here all right we're gonna stay on track okay all plants require 17 elements to complete their life cycle. 14 of those elements come from the soil. Why is this important? Well, our soil has different layers. And like Mandy said, those different layers contain different things that contribute to a healthy soil. So we're talking microbes, plant roots from varying layers, right? Perennials have deeper root structures. We, we established that in our previous episode. We're looking at mycorrhiza, nematodes, protozoa root exodus, minerals, decomposed and undecomposed plant matter. And this is what all creates that, that layer of humus, right? Mm-hmm. But real quick, before we go any further, let's break that down. First, let's take a look at soil layers. On the very top of, of the earth, on the crust, right? Where you walk, where your feet set themselves, the grass, um, the gravel. That is horizon O. It's easy to remember that very top exposed layer just think of organic material grass logs decaying material your topsoil is directly underneath that so we're talking like just a couple of inches Mm -hmm. very shallow root depth um that is now part of a different horizon that's called horizon a and the reason that we need to know this horizon a is because something very important takes place here this is the rhizosphere what is a rhizosphere A rhizosphere is a layer of soil where just picture where roots of your crops, your plants, your perennials, that's where they meet the soil. And that's where this whole amazing ecosystem takes place, because this is where the microorganisms interact with the roots. We'll talk about those um, those microorganisms in a second. Let's finish our soil layers. So we have horizon O on top, a couple inches of topsoil, horizon A. Underneath that, we have horizon E. That's a layer of leached minerals and organic matter. Then we have B, which is going to be your subsoil, your minerals, and your salts. We're getting deeper now, very deep. We have horizon C. That's parent material. Um, Decaying logs that have been there for ages and haven't completely broken down yet. Rock. And that is before we get to horizon R, which is bedrock. I don't know why these things are labeled the way they are. I don't know why they don't go in alphabetical order. O, topsoil, A, E, B, C, and R.
1: You have anything you want to add before I move well, on to the vocab? I mean, uh, I don't know why they're not in order either. It's always bothered me. Like when we <laughs> always bothered me when, and I am not a, typically a person that is bothered by things like that. Um, but it, it it is, I think that's that's the confusing part to all of this. So I think that, um, you know, what I do want to add is all of these, so you, you give all of these layers, right? And, um, there's, and I'm kind of switching gears just a little bit to try and maybe tie it in for folks that are like, holy shit, this is mm-hmm. so over my head already. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what they're saying. So, um, for example, when we garden, we're gardeners, mm-hmm. um, we talk all the time about amending and whatever, and you know, and, and what the purpose of that. And I think that the, an the easy way to look at it is, um, A lot of times you have, you can, you pick up your soil, right? Or you you go to your raised bed or you go to your plot of land and you can pick, pick it up. And a virgin soil, if you will, um, is either going to be way too light or way too heavy. And essentially that typically is because it is. It's not layered with all of that organic material. It's never been amended. It's just been sitting static for so long. Um, Things haven't been rotated. Animals haven't been there. You know, there's not all, it's not nutrient dense. And if you try to plant something there, it's not going to grow very well. So a lot of us, um, if you do any type of research or something like that, you will see if you want to establish a brand new raised bed, a lot of people will just go out and dump straight, like, Black soil in there, and maybe put a bag of compost on top, and um, have you know subpar results. You want to do things. So the natural, what Angela is saying is, out in the earth, if something is you know a healthy ecosystem, if something it you know is well established, and what we want to see is logs and leaves and particles of rocks and you know other or poop you know like other organic material in there so you'll see folks that will go make a raised bed and this is just trying to be maybe a visual example put leaves in there put rocks in there in the bottom you know put logs in there all that is going to you're you're basically creating a little ecosystem that is going to continuously improve you will see year to year changes potentially in your plants but is it is the best way to start so that's that's kind of like a visual example i think of when i think of like the layers if you want to try and like recreate it without you know digging far down and a hole in the dirt to see all these layers create them yourself
0: yeah it it mimics google culture like in a raised bed if you wanted Uh, to fill a raised bed you would do rock then some logs twigs Leaves, right, you would do compost, you would do some dirt, you would do all you all kinds of things that would go in there. It's not just ever straight soil, because the reason for all of this, this is Mother Nature's design, if you were just to plug plants into straight dirt, that is organic matter, right, mm-hmm. that's been broken down, that's what the plant feeds off of. Well, eventually, the nutrients from that material is going to run out. But if we put something in there, like leaves, logs, things are going to break down, they're going to continue to release nutrients into the soil over time, which then reduces the need for synthetic fertilizers. We talked about this layer called the rhizosphere. And if you're going to take anything away from layers, this is where we're really focusing on today. The rhizosphere, if you remember, is underneath our our top, not the top soil, but like the crust, right? The grass, the, the layer of earth that we walk on. And it's the layer where microorganisms interact with the roots. The reason we're consumed with this is we need to talk about two main elements in order to really understand the nitty gritty of soil health. We need to understand what mycorrhiza are and microbes. Mycorrhiza are beneficial fungus that surround roots. So if you picture like a strawberry root spread out you would have like this halo of fungus around it. And it's a symbiotic relationship the plant has with this fungus. It helps the plant to absorb nutrients. There's a call and response system. So if the plant is seeking moisture, the fungus can understand that and it helps to pull up water. And in return, the mycorrhiza feeds off the plants like dead sloughed off cells, starches, sugars that, that the plant secretes immediately to the surrounding soil. So they're providing each other with something. This is what plants need in order to really achieve optimal growth. We also have microbes. And so if you want to picture like teeny tiny small microorganisms, they do something really cool. They fuse together to create a protective shield around each and every little root follicle. And that creates a preventative barrier against pathogens and harmful bacteria. And the reason that these are so pivotal when it comes to soil health is because harmful farming practices, and we'll talk about those next, killing Synthetic fertilizers kill off microbes and kill off mycorrhiza. When those two helpful elements are gone, we have created an addiction to synthetic fertilizers. The plant is no longer able to function on its own because the mycorrhiza and the microbes are gone. We can facilitate regenerating that. We're going to talk about how. But really, we need to talk about mycorrhizae and fungus, which is the fungus, and the microbes, which is the protective shield. And that is where all of this comes down to, is keeping those things intact for optimal plant growth.
1: I like what you said that we've, what did you say about fertilizers and addiction? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, it's like the easy way out, honestly. And um that I know, we're not really going to get into all of that, um, and I know that there's a time and a place, right, um, for certain things. But yeah, I mean, let like take it literally, like back to the roots, like let the earth, let nature do all of that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, in the 1930s or
0: 1940s, these scientists suspected. This whole addiction. And they said, what is happening if you're applying, for example, synthetic or liquid nitrogen to soil? How are we getting what's happening to plants and why are they getting addicted to it? Well, here's what's happening. Um, too much manufactured nitrogen will be we sprayed onto the crop fields or wherever they're going, and it caused the soil microbes to let that protective shield to start feeding off organic matter in the soil crazy fast, too fast for what is considered, quote unquote, normal. So then what ends up happening is organic matter wasn't replaced in the soil. We talked about that before. If you don't have logs, if you don't have leaves, if you don't have things breaking down, the soil can't continue to be fed. And so instead, the farmer, the human, whoever is doing this, is just facilitating nitrogen and pumping it into the soil. And as a result, these microbes keep feeding at this crazy fast rate. Well, the organic matter in the soil goes depleted then. so the the crops start to wilt. And the farmer is going, wait a second. Did they run out of nitrogen? So now there's no organic matter in the soil to actually absorb this nitrogen because it's gone. The, the microbes went through it. So now too little organic matter in the soil can't retain the fertilizer and any subsequent fertilizer, fertilizers that are sprayed with the farmer being confused and going, well, it's not retaining its nitrogen. I got, it must be using it. I've got to spray more. No, it's leaching away because your soil is dead. Now the microbes are not there because there's no organic matter in the soil left. They ate it all up. And then they starved to death and they died off. So now you have too little organic matter within the soil. And then all your liquid nitrogen ends up running off as groundwater. And it also ends up in the atmosphere. This is a scientific study. And there's a link to that in the so notes. So when we apply synthetic fertilizers, it doesn't matter if they're natural kelp. I've I've used liquid kelp in my garden for years. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. It doesn't matter if it's a chemical. What ends up happening is that you're no longer facilitating the communication between mycorrhiza and microbes and the plants. You're doing it for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's another way to look at it. When you're talking about organic material and nitrogen, I think, I mean, like I would be remiss if we did, or we would be totally remiss if we didn't say if you've not already, nitrogen is the most important thing. Right. And you keep, you keep bringing it up and um, it can come naturally from the soil. So I'm going to take it back to, um, composting right so we talk about organic material adding it to your garden adding it wherever just i mean just your grass whatever i mean we're we're talking a lot about our gardens and things like that because this you know it it is we're identifying soil types in our gardens and all types of things and we're gardeners right um when it comes to your organic material and your compost the more rotten the better right so you yeah don't we, we talk often about not wanting to add, I guess, you know, fresh manure or you know non-decomposed material, turning over your compost pile, the age of the compost, you know, all types of things like that. So the older it is, typically the more rotten it is, the more decaying, the more decayed it is, because when all that organic material is decomposing in your compost pile, whether that's, you know, kitchen scraps or whatever it is... Um, it's using up the nitrogen, right? Okay, great. So if you were to take a fresh pile of manure and just put it on your garden without it being broken down, without it decaying, it's going to use up all that nitrogen. If you have plants there, you're great. You're you're definitely going to be improving your soil by adding that compost to your soil. However, it's going to suck all that nitrogen from your plants and your plants are going to die. So that's why there's a balance. Um, that's why it is, it is, so important. It does go back to all of those scary things that we started to talk about in the beginning. Um, You know, carbon, nitrogen, it, all, all these words, because it truthfully does matter. And if we can help you kind of understand just the very basics of it, I mean, you're going to rock and roll. Do you... No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, we, you, you brought up, you know, like farming practices and we've, we've kind of talked about a lot and I'm also very excited about this, but I don't know. You want to talk about what, what it is doing to our soil when we till it, am I getting too far ahead? Things. Like- no, this is great. So let's
0: talk about some of the quote unquote conventional farming practices that have been happening over centuries that have began to erode life. Within the soil, so the first we hear about is tilling. If you're unfamiliar with the concept of tilling, it is where you go through with a tilling machine, which is like a blade, a series of blades, and it it turns up the earth, it churns it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When this happens, the ground is broken and it's overturned. Up until several years ago, I tilled my raised beds. I tilled because I thought that's the way you did it. Until I learned that when you do that and you upturn the soil and let it rest on the top any nutrients that the soil has are solarized solarized by the sun they're baked and so that creates a net nutrient loss you're also breaking all of those microorganisms like the mycorrhiza and the microbes we talked about they bake in the sun yeah and then you know mandy's been talking about adding decomposing material well this includes old plant roots that were in the dirt if you upturn those Any nutrients that those roots absorbed are now baked and released back into the atmosphere. So the point is, tilling upturns everything, all the work, all of this, all of the nutrients that have been in the soil, and it's literally baked off. So tilling is harmful. Now we also talked about how plants take and release different nutrients from the atmosphere, and they take and release different things in the soil. So if you have a lot of plants. That means you have a lot of nutrients being absorbed and released, right? We've talked about monocropping and how if you do just one thing, like a field of corn without any companions, you're uptaking a ton of the same nutrient and it's returning a ton of the same nutrient. Now we might be deficient or lacking. And the other nutrients we talked before about how there's a total of seventeen. Mandy has a question. You can't see her, um, but she's I'm raising just, her hands.
1: I'm just going to interject. So I, before we get too far, I want to. I had a thought pop into my head, and again, just trying to kind of paint a visual for uh, people that are listening. So back, I'm back to tilling. So, and I'm I'm with you. I used to till too. We own a tiller. Um, if anything, I mean, in, in certain. Certain machines you can make it so it literally will mix like an inch down. Um, that is not something that I'm gonna say don't do. When we're talking about tailing, we're talking about like it is it is completely chunking up the earth. Like you're completely like making a brand new plot, you're going inches down, you're you're messing everything up. So when a good I a good thing, I think that again that can help you visualize. Um, I think that the idea of tilling kind of maybe came about with homesteaders or something like that, because you know, we think that, you know, weeds are bad. I get it. Um, and, and most of the time they are. Like they they can choke out your plants and things like that if you don't take care of them. Um, I'm here to say that if you have a garden, um, even if you're doing it, you know, tip top, super you're super duper good, you're gonna have weeds, and that's okay. Um, some weeds are fine. And a good garden will have weeds because you've created that ecosystem. They want to grow there. Okay. So back to tilling. when you go to your raised bed, a lot of times people want like these pristine and clean, I, you know, like no, no weeds, no straw, no, nothing in the garden besides what we would consider like your soil. Okay. Um, so you have weeds in your raised bed. You go out there with a tiller and you till it up. You are essentially what you're doing. What Angela is saying is all of that good, good. That's a couple inches down. You're bringing it to the top and you're pushing the weeds down. So then the weeds, they're not going to die. You basically just like planted them again. And Now all that good, good, like Angela said, is baking in the sun. So you're kind of just doing like a rotation, the good, you're replacing the, the good with the bad, if that kind of helps. So I want to kind of get out of the mindset of having like a crisp and pristine, I'll show you my garden. Like we have dead cover crops out there. We have, you know, straw that has um kind of like receded some wheat in some beds. And you know what, under that is incredible looking soil. So you I in school and gosh for for a very, very long time I spoke with this um old gentleman who's been I I don't even, you know, growing food for many, many years, decades and over the winter you know we clean up our gardens and we want them like perfect going into winter well not me and i learned this from him he calls the snow and i've heard it you know from other folks not just him um the poor man's fertilizer so you leave all this stuff actually on your beds or on your plots and all it's doing is essentially if you want putting a protective blanket over all of that good, good. And then you, you know, the snow will melt, you can pull up your cover crops or whatever it is. Um, pull the weeds, then you start fresh in the spring. Don't, don't get rid of all of that stuff when you're plant when you're not planting, when your garden is essentially sitting dormant, all, you know, all of the the nutrients that you have worked so hard to create in the ecosystem that you've worked so hard to create over the season, it's going to die. Um, and you're going to continuously start from square one. That's all. I just, you know, I just wanted to kind of paint the picture of the, the tilling swapping out the good for the bad. Okay, go for it.
0: Well, and to piggyback off that real quick, there becomes a point where you don't need it anymore. Because if your soil is healthy, it's going to be soft and it's going to be the consistency and look like chocolate cake. You won't need it. There's something that mass farmers can use called a no-till drill. And essentially what it is, is instead of upturning the earth in preparation for sowing seed, it slices um, a line. Uh, It it opens the earth. A small line is, is, is drilled, if you will. The seeds are sown in that line and then the machine closes it back up. There's no digging. And in fact, you can even do this over cover crops because if you leave the cover crops Mm -hmm. to decompose in place, you're now benefiting more than once from what they contribute to the soil. You're not just getting, for example, if you do hairy vetch, you're not just getting nitrogen and whatever else that's absorbed through the roots and then like clearing it. You're letting the top and any nutrients that it has um, decompose back into the soil. Sow your seed directly into your cover crop. I'm doing that with my pastures this year for the first time. I will no longer be sowing grass. I'm not doing grass in my pastures anymore. I'm doing cover crops that are graze, um, forage for animals that feed my soil, provide the crude protein requirements and energy needed for horses, sheep, all of the above. And it's not grass because grass in itself does not offer anything to the soil other than cover and carbon absorption. I want more than that. Yeah. So We can do another episode on cover crops and what you can use for animal grazing and that sort of thing. But okay, moving on, um, get into perennials, get into companion planting. There's those things, the lack of those things has also contributed to a soil health over the years. People are planting one thing, they're only getting one nutrient, absorbing one nutrient, giving one nutrient back into the soil. Other nutrients are deficient but i think one of the biggest things that we really just need to touch on real quick is that the animal soil nutrient cycle in many farm situations is broken we see feedlots with mass amounts of animals and no plants and then we see crop lots with all plants and no animals yeah but right if you think about that for a second the farmers on the crop lots are bringing in manure or synthetic fertilizers and those crops are growing feed to then come over to the feed lot and feed the animal. It we literally broke it. And so if you have them working together, you can have both. You can maximize your space. The very forage, we just touched on that with forage cover crops, the animals are eating those. They're creating manure which is going into the soil, feeding the soil, the soil is healthier, creates better forage for the animals. It is supposed to be a cycle.
1: Yeah. And I um You'll see a lot of times um, when folks will, who raise cattle like out on range, just for example, and then they will turn their cattle out after like corn or something has been harvested. So it is so symbiotic. It's a mutual benefit because then those cattle graze the corn stalks, you know, the leftover stalks or whatever. Maybe you're still feeding hay or whatever you have to do, but then you kick them off and you plant again. And It is, it's just like, it's, it's such a benefit. Um, You think about just like a little, like a wheel, Uh, you know, you, an animal poops, it fertilizes the soil, then the, the, the grass or the cover crops or whatever, your pasture will grow. The animal eats it, the animal poops. I mean, it is literally a closed loop that is forgotten. Well, and not, if nothing
0: else. It's a cost savings to the farmer.
1: Yeah, right. you're not You're yeah. not
0: buying fertilizer. The animals are giving it to you. The animals that you may or may not already own. And then you're feeding the animals with leftover plant remains from sure. whatever you've yes. harvested. Yes. Work smarter, not harder. Absolutely. You've maximized your space. We only have so much real estate. And you've cut your bill. And you can now sell. These are cash crops. For corn, for example. You make mm-hmm. money off the corn. I don't know. It's just...
1: I think that people are starting to get back into it, so, you know, and, and if it, if it's feasible, right? So I, mm-hmm. I, um, but all too often um, you do see uh, the situation, you know, the feedlot type of situations or, you know, the rows of monocrops and things like that. And you, the amount of work that then has to go into both of those situations, um, you know, could be rectified a little bit and kind of combine them um well aware it's not always feasible but I think what's important to note is then the stuff that we don't see all of the behind the scenes work I don't know you could eliminate some of it so I'm I, yeah um hard hard to say but it is it is truthfully a relationship that we want you to understand um when we talk about you know, we've kind of talked about it and touched on it in several episodes, rotational grazing, just literally the word permaculture and what that means, um, and how that is directly impacting your soil, um, gardener or not, right. I mean, if you just want a pristine lawn, this, this can still definitely apply to you in some, in some ways, um, So when um I think we should talk about what the a poor soil structure would look like or you know if if we it it can get really we can get really in depth about um you know amending your garden and and things like that or improving your soil quality and we've talked this whole time um about organic material and the layers and, and everything like that and over time And Angela kind of mentioned it when we were talking about the tilling. So you maybe you you had to till, or you you tilled at one point. And if you stop tilling and you do all these, I'm gonna you know practices of adding the decaying logs and the organic material and the compost or whatever we want to call it to your garden over time with your repeated applications of those materials, you're gonna notice um, your once clay. Ground um, is or your sandy, your loamy soil, whatever it is, is now you know uh, more water retentive. It's more rich. Those things do take time. Um, so it, I, mean, I i don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I I don't want to tell people go do this and it's going to be one season and, and whatever. It's a it's a continuous practice um, and it's an incredible practice. Um and improving the soil is is something that we should probably all, you know, pay attention to. So when you go to your garden or you go whatever and you're you're trying to identify um your your soil types or what what amendments should you do? Most of the time you're going to see sandy like a clay or like a loamy soil um symptoms of just in general to you know poor soil quality uh too wet so like you can literally pick up a a handful and squeeze it and you're going to get a ton of information from that it's either going to have too much water it's not going to retain any water it's going to like basically trickle through your hand and make like a waterfall through your hand it's going to be super dusty potentially um gosh you recently did on social media, did a uh, a very, very interesting and informative post about weeds and what they tell you about your soil.
0: Yeah, I think weeds are kind of overlooked, right? A lot of times we look to our crops and we say, well, this is withering or this is turning yellow. Uh, we don't need for our crops to communicate to us. We can just look at the weeds that want to grow there. So, for example, like a dandelion, it has a really long taproot. Uh, a lot of us have struggled to get those pulled up. Well, Mother Nature put that there because she's trying to loosen compacted soil. Yeah. Um, Crab grass, that prefers really poor, dry soil conditions. Often it's going to lack any sort of organic matter. It's been used. So you can just look a lot of these things up. They'll be in my upcoming book as well. A whole table of weeds and their indications and meanings. But just go online. If you see Creeping Charlie, just type in Creeping Charlie soil indications. That information is at our fingertips. Um. But also, again, you can look to your plants, your crops for clues. We don't we don't want to ignore those either if you're already in the midst of your growing season. So a lot of this information could kind of paint a bleak picture being like, well, how are we supposed to fix a lot of these problems? And I want to be clear, I am not condemning anyone for using conventional farming practices. I did myself until I found a different path. And I simply find that this is a work smarter, not harder approach for me and a better fit for my farm. Um, but when you, you see a lot of sort of the environmental anxiety, people kind of have this as a way that I feel that I can do something rather than sit in anxiousness. So for cover cropping, um, look for cover crops for your pastures, your growing spaces for not just winter, but to use as forage for animals throughout the summer this is going to provide a barrier for, you know, solarization. If bare soil is left exposed, the soil is going to bake it. It's going to dry. Your nutrients are not going to be blown away by wind. The idea is just to keep your soil covered so it retains all of its nutrients. Carbon stays low in the soil. And then you benefit from the plants that are there. Right. Um, you know, different plants, we talked about before, add different things to the soil. So add more than one cover crop. For when I do my forage for both winter and now for spring and summer grazing, I will be doing an entire pallet. We're talking like seven or more different cover crops because I want my animals to get all the different nutrients and I want to give all those nutrients to the soil. Plant perennials, plant things that have deeper, more sophisticated root systems that grow lower in the soil. We talked about this in the last episode. Woodier plant tissue and more developed root systems harbor more carbon from the atmosphere. Agriculture gets a bad rap for greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, not if done responsibly. If we can manage our animals with rotational grazing, return nutrients to the soil by way of their manure, plant perennials, we can absorb more carbon than we emit as farmers into our landscapes. And that is very important as farming practices tend to kind of come under the microscope. Allow your animals to graze rotation style. We talked about that in the first permaculture episode. Mm -hmm. And then just other things. Stop tilling. Amend with compost. Keep composting. Keep adding nutrients to your soil. Leave things to decompose in place. In your gardens, don't pick up every fallen leaf unless you know it has blight or something. That's different. Allow the pill bugs to break things down. And companion plant with your cash crops. If you want to grow a field of corn, do it. Just give it something else to grow with so that it can be supported.
1: Yeah, I think we need to get away from the idea of, you know, these pristine garden areas and kind of start to celebrate all of the different layers and what they can offer to the ecosystem, you know, and it, it, it doesn't have to be intense. I think, we think it's actually less intense um, then the alternative and, um, the, we, we, the benefits are just so immense and they're so far reaching and they're so long lasting and, um, you're going to, you're going to notice those things for sure.
0: So with that, healthy soil facilitates healthy crops, healthy forage for animals, This is part two of sort of the permage Culture episodes, Kool-Aid episodes. I told Mandy is what we should call them. I do want to share a quick announcement based on when you listen to this. It may be too late. But June 3rd and 4th of this year, Mandy and I will be recording a live episode uh from the homestead Fest- festival which is an event put on by rory feek at his own personal farm outside of nashville tennessee you can get tickets online by going to the homestead i'll be giving a talk on permaculture there so if you're interested in this i will be there i will be doing a recording with mandy and uh annette from azure farm and i have a cookbook we'll be doing a talk on garden to table eating there's going to be live music uh Kevin Costner and his band will be there doing a program (laughs) called Tales from Yellowstone. Um, If you don't know Rory Feek, check him out. He is a country music artist as well. It is a quote unquote, they've dubbed it a weekend of music and meaning. And it is just to inspire folks to get out in the dirt and homestead. And, And I think I can speak for both Mandy and I that we are absolutely honored
1: to be asked to be a part of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's why we're here, right? I mean, the whole, it's such an honor, absolutely, hands down. And it just kind of echoes why we're sitting here right now doing what we're doing. Um, we want to inspire people to go out. We want to help you um, understand some of these things that can be terribly scary and confusing and make them more attainable and accessible. Um yeah, so we're just we're just trying to do it all together, and we very very much appreciate it. Like Angel said, yes, check that out. Come and meet us. Um, and if you have any questions, we're always here. Thank you so so much, and uh, have a really good day.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at homesteadeducationpodcast. Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axe and root homestead. Mandy can also be found online at the farmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.